here with David Teal from the Richmond Times Dispatch Hall of Fame writer. Good enough to give us some time as he joins us via the Valley Who's guest line at by David Teal. You can follow him there on the X. David, thanks as always for fitness in. I know you're always busy. You got a rare uh, game night off, I see. <laughs> I do, but uh, headed to a game tomorrow night at the University of Richmond. First place clash in the Atlantic 10, the Spiders and Dayton. That's a, that's a big one, needless to say. We'll get to all that here in a sec, but I want to start. I know you t- wrote about this early in the week about the ACC football schedules being released, 17 teams, you know, the coast-to-coast feeling now, the all-coast conference, as we like to call it, and obviously SMU involved in it, and the challenge is there, uh, but the ACC got the thing out early and done. What, what were your big takeaways from uh, the way the ACC has laid this out, trying to make it as uh, fair as possible to all the parties involved? Well, I, I think that's a good description, Scott, fair. And I think the ACC made good on its promises to the schools to mitigate travel coast to coast as much as possible. Uh, for example, of the six Eastern time zone teams that are playing on the West Coast this season, and no one ever does it twice uh, in, in one season or even in consecutive seasons. But of those six teams, only one does not have a bye week either before or after the trip out west. So I think that's a real break. And of Cal and Stanford, only Stanford plays on the East Coast in consecutive weeks. And that comes in September before classes start at Stanford because they're on a quarter system, apparently. So I think that mitigates uh, the concern of going back and forth. And maybe even they stay east for that two-week period to get both games in. Now, they didn't like make Florida State play like six games in a row or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> try to punish them. I know there's some people wondering how they would handle the Seminoles, but uh, they get started, of course, in Ireland this year against Georgia Tech, which is interesting, one of those week zero games. But how's that going? I mean, both have you know filed their, their lawsuits. Uh, how, how are we going to go about this season, and is this just going to be uh, kind of the pl- place we're going to be in for, for an extended period of time with Florida State and the ACC? It is and will remain for, I would guess, multiple years, awkward, if not contentious. Uh, Now, can the parties save their vehement disagreements for the courtroom? Might that spill over into meeting rooms? That remains to be seen. Uh, It's fascinating to me, Scott, what the ACC's winter meetings are going to look like next month, what the spring meetings in Florida in May will look like. The the ACC's most recent legal filing basically asked the court to rule that Florida State can no longer be a part of ACC governance. So the ACC is playing hardball. And will not go quietly on this. That's it's going to be interesting. That's for sure. We're here with David Teal at by David Teal on the X Richmond Times Dispatch. You can read him there 
uh, on a regular basis. Good enough to give some time here on the Scott Jackson Show via the Ballyhoo's guest line. All right, so basketball right now. Virginia's ripped off three wins, beat NC State again, and Tech's won a couple games in a row since losing to Virginia. But as, a, as it stands right now, they're, they're both in the mid-50s. I think it's 53 for Virginia, uh, or excuse me, 55 for Virginia, and maybe 54 for Virginia Tech in the latest net that I saw. So they're kind of in that weird space, right, where there's still more work to do. As you, as you look at the schedule ahead, uh, do, do you think both of these teams have the type of schedule, the type of teams, more importantly, that can make that uh, decision a little bit easier on Selection Sunday to get them on the inside of the bubble? I think they do, Scott. Now, whether they realize that potential uh, re- remains to be seen. Um, you know, as you mentioned here, I just pulled up the net, and sure enough, they are right next to one another. 54 for the Hokies, 55 for the Cavaliers. Uh, where the Hokies have a nice advantage is their non-conference strength of schedule is 49, and the committee will look very fondly upon that. Now, the Cavaliers is not terrible at 165, but 49 is very nice compared, you know, when, it, when you're talking about 360 Division One teams in the country. But you know, Virginia needs to continue to get interior presence from Jordan Minor. His emergence has been such a, a big benefit. And Virginia Tech just needs to find some depth beyond that Padula, Couture, Link Kid tree of some consistent, reliable uh, scoring points other than, that, than those three. I was kind of hoping you were going to tell me Virginia Tech was going to send Makai Long back to ODU, but I guess it's uh, too late for that. I don't think we could do that midseason at this point. <laughs> but certainly... Guys, the, way, the, the, the way the transfer rules have been <laughs> basically scrapped, I don't think anything is off the table right now. Well, he's certainly not playing as much as I thought he would be for them, which is a little frustrating uh, looking from afar here. Anyway, uh, David Teal's with us uh, at by David Teal. Uh, you can read him at the Richmond Times-Dispatch here. Scott Jackson, show priority on the sports radio, 94.1. So those t- those teams, you know, again, kind of in that I- interesting area, as you said, you can certainly have uh, games in front of them to help themselves. You mentioned Richmond before, and this game tomorrow uh, against Dayton seems very important because they are, you know, in a, in a spot right now talking about the spiders where they are you know on 70s you know 74 Dayton's all the way up at 15 and this might be you know the best chance Richmond has to really bump themselves up and obviously be a quad one win which would be their first uh this feels like a a huge game for them tomorrow x x x could could not agree more Scott and it's a fascinating you know Richmond is the A-10's best defensive squad per, per Ken Palm's metrics. Dayton has Ron Holmes, who is clearly the best player in the Atlantic 10, and he's a big, and Richmond counters with its seven-footer, and Neil Quinn. Uh, Chris Mooney has done a great job blending in transfers, such as George King, with, with his returning veterans. So this is this is two teams that are six and zero in the Atlantic Ten, and I believe meet in March, uh, just before the A ten tournament. So this will be the first of two uh, between these clubs. That is big. Uh, you know the A 10s in this interesting spot too, because 
once again, you know, in terms of the the numbers right now, just one team has got to feel good about their chances to be at large, and that, of course, is Dayton. Uh, once again, and you know, I know they've gone, you know, through a lot of different things scheduling wise to try to help themselves. But you know, the more and more you talk to some of these mid-major coaches, and I'm sure you have, uh, there's a lot of frustration with the way the net plays out. It really seems to be certainly uh, weighted towards uh, you know particular conferences, the big conferences, and, and these mid-major ones are really struggling to kind of find footing with it. No doubt, and Scott, I misspoke. I apologize. This is the only meeting between Dayton and Richmond this season. So it puts yeah. even more importance on, on tomorrow night. But your, but your point about the A-10 is well taken. Last season, the first time in more than a decade that the A-10 did not get an at-large team in the NCAA bracket. And if Dayton goes ahead and runs the table in the regular season and league tournament, it could very well be a second consecutive year as, as a one-bid league. And Chris Mooney, Ryan Odom, and, and others in the league, and Ryan has mid-major experience having been out in the Mountain West at Utah State where they had the net figured out. I mean, the Mountain West got four bids last year, maybe looking at even more this season. Uh, but, but the A-10 has yet to, to figure out how to schedule the runway non-conference yeah, and you look at what James Madison's put together this year, right? 17-2, and two, we're unbeaten, out of conference. And obviously had some really big wins right out of the gate, winning at Michigan State. But now, you know, they really don't have anything left on the schedule that's going to help them. I mean, App State's, I guess, the closest thing who they have this weekend, but they're behind Madison. Madison's at 61, App State's at 77. So, again, the Sun Belt also, and that it looks like, you know, obviously a one-bid one situation as well for, you know, it feels like forever. It's going to be really interesting if one of those two teams, or, or maybe even both of them, has got other. You know, one of them obviously will lose tomorrow night in Boone, but if, if they then dominate the rest of the regular season and play one another in the conference tournament final, does one of that does the loser of that game get an at-large bid? I would submit that the answer should be yes. JMU went on the road, as you referenced, to start the season. Not only won at Michigan State, won at Kent State. And App State you know, got a rare home game from a, from a P5 opponent and beat Auburn. It's in, huge. In boom. Yeah. Oh, oh, it's beyond huge. And, and Auburn has been playing great, you know, the recent loss to Alabama notwithstanding. So I actually think Sun Belt, is better positioned to get one of those teams in at large than perhaps the A-10 is beyond the obvious in date. Wouldn't that be something? Well, we uh, should be interesting watching it over these uh, next several weeks. As always, great talking to David Teal at By David Teal on the X. You can read him on the Richmond Times Dispatch as well. Thanks for your time today, Dave. Appreciate it. Absolutely, Scott. Thanks for having me, man. David Teal with us here. Scott Jackson Show, Priority Auto Sports Radio 94.1. We're brought to you by Larry King Law. All right, welcome back. Don't forget, we got Brooks and Dunn tickets to give away here before we uh, leave you uh, around 7-ish tonight. The Reboot Tour 2024 will be uh, looking for a winner coming up shortly on that front, so be ready for it. Uh, We'll give you the old cue to call. Uh, As we've been talking about throughout the show, uh, healthy news for a lot of these teams, except for the Chiefs, who uh, Joe 
Tooney's out this weekend, um, starting a guard for the Chiefs. That's a, that's a big blow. Uh, but not surprising. It looked like he was out after the, you know, that it was going to be out this week. But now confirmation of that today with their injury report. Debo Samuel off the injury report. Good to go. Isaiah Pacheco uh, and for the Chiefs, as well, I should mention, is questionable. Although, come on, he's playing, right? There's no chance he's not playing. That's silly. Uh, and uh, Frank Ragnow and Sam Laporta, no injury designations whatsoever for the two uh, Lions' important pieces. I mean, um, Jonah Jackson, though, is out, the left guard for the Lions. They think he could play with that knee injury if they make it to the Super Bowl. But obviously, they got to make it to the Super Bowl first. But, yeah. but Ragnow looks bad. I mean, he left twice in that game last week, so that was that was pretty significant. Um, <laughs> my favorite story today about the Lions was uh, third quarterback Hendon Hooker uh, is on the injury report with a tooth issue. I saw that. He had to have a, teeth, a tooth pulled, I guess. Ouch. Yeah, he's questionable with a tooth injury. Now, you laugh about that, but again, three quarterbacks seems to ring a bell from last uh-huh. year's cha- NFC Championship game with the yep. Niners. So, like, I don't need a third quarterback. You better hope you don't need a third quarterback. So, anyway, uh, those are some of the injuries uh, that were being looked at this week. Not surprising. So, you just told me during the break that the um, the Panthers gave their walk-in papers to their interim coach. They said, you're free to go now? Yep. Chris Tabor is free oh, to Tabor. interview with other teams. Chris Tabor, man. Tell you what. Being a good... Uh, Apparently, being being a good uh, soldier doesn't do well for you in this case. I mean, he's he's been um, he's now yeah two years left on his Panthers contract for starters. I mean, he's not like they fired him and he's not going to get paid. But I guess they're pr- probably pretty hopeful that he does go find a job somewhere. So they don't have to pay. Wait a second. Yeah. So this is yet another coach that David Tepper is going to have to give more money to. Absolutely. <laughs> Unless he gets hired oh, somewhere else, of course. Oh boy. Unless he gets hired somewhere else. So. Again, special teams coordinator um, with the Bears. I think prior, yeah, Bears was that. It was the Browns. Special teams coach of the Browns for a long time, from 2011 to uh, 2017. I mean, special teams coordinators tend to find work, usually. Um, and I, I would suspect he'll find a, a job. There's so many new staffs, right? Yeah. Like he'll, he'll probably find one uh, if he wants it. So apparently, um, Canales has a uh, special teams guy in mind for his, his new staff. I guess so. Interesting. Now, meanwhile, all these here would be like you get a little itchy if you're one of these commanders coaches, right? That is locked up currently, right? And you got to wonder too, with some of these OC positions, and people are slow playing it to wait and see what what they do with the enemy with the commanders too. Could be, could be, because um, I do think he would be very, very beneficial to somebody's OC uh, in the right circumstances with a you know probably more experienced quarterback for starters, and also maybe a, a more of a coach that's willing to like kind of step to him and say, hey. Uh, you got run plays in this sheet, don't you? Well, you know, they might have a little vacancy up there in Detroit. <laughs> I wonder if, again, I'm, I'm wondering if Brunel gets that. Uh, or is it, again, Fralick, the you know the offensive line coach, or how they handle that. And whoever doesn't get picked to be elevated if they come to be the, quote, OC of Washington. Could be. But really, you know, which is basically an OC job that we just explained that Callahan has had for the last so many years with – which is you're the OC, you're just not call, you're not going to call the plays. To me, it's just if if you're looking for Eric Bieniemy to go to a place with a coach that is going to step to him and say this is what you need to do, Dan Campbell's that guy for well, sure. Yeah, I think Tomlin as well. He's not going to you know he's not going to let him throw the ball fifty times with um, 
with Kenny Pickett. Quarterback situation, definitely not settled. Yeah, I, I think that so That would as well. be scary. Yeah, and there's been, you know, I don't know about the Eagles situation, if that's a good idea, because it almost feels like he's head, heading into a Washington 2.0 situation where a guy was kind of on the, well, and again, we, and, uh, let me say this, the public seems to think that Nick Sirianni should be on thin ice, but I'm not sure the Eagles believe that Nick Sirianni is on thin ice. I don't know. He didn't act like he was on thin ice the other day in his press conference, at least. He was quick to kind of jump on everything, though, wasn't he? It was, almost looked yeah. like he was being too active in that press conference. He's a little different. <laughs> He's quirky. That's one way to put He's it. He's quirky, right? Uh, Very quirky. Oh, man. Uh, 757-687-9494. 757-687-9494. If you want to hit us up via the text line. Or the uh, Ballyhoo's phone line. Earlier, we were discussing the most desirable Super Bowl, the least desirable, your, your most hated team. So we're doing the player haters ball team you hate the most that's still standing in this postseason. Because there's been a lot of Chiefs hate uh, going out there. People are just tired of the Chiefs winning, and it's frustrating. But uh, as I found on the text line, it feels like there's a lot of anti-Baltimore people around here, which which uh, warms my heart um, as well. There is a story that uh, has dropped, by the way, in the last two hours, kind of going back to our discussion about the commander's coaching stuff um, from the Detroit Free Press that it's pretty much a foregone conclusion that Ben Johnson's a coach. I see. Yeah, according to um, what they're saying. This is um, based off of a Jeff Darlington Sports Center appearance today. I guess he said it's a foregone conclusion, Washington, albeit one that we have to wait and see on, certainly, that Ben Johnson will wind up being the commander's coach once the season ends. And, you know, again, clearly any of the, if you've been one of the people they've talked to twice, Bobby Slowick, for example, or in-house Eric Bieniemy, clearly you can't feel great about your situation because they could have hired you already. There's no right. reason right. for them to wait for, oh yeah, we're going to these second rounds of McDonald or Anthony Weaver or Munkin or whoever, you know, Dan Quinn. You don't need to do that at this point if that person isn't available Unless, of course, it's one of the people that's unavailable that you're picking. What's going to be wild here is it looks like Mike McDonald could be left without a dance partner, too. If uh, if the Seahawks go Quinn, and then he's he's back in Baltimore next year, which I'm sure not going to make the Ravens fans sad at all. It's a great situation for them. Right, exactly. And I don't even think McDonald interviewed with the Seahawks, Yeah, no, which, he is, which is weird. The Seahawks thing's been strange. It's almost like we just want to recreate Pete Carroll with, with the younger version of Pete Carroll. I that, guess. I guess is what the, the the old the old the glory days are just going to go back to Quinn. Going to bring Daryl Bevel back too? <laughs> maybe, maybe they will. The weirdest one that they had didn't they interview Mike Kafka? Yeah, they did. That's a weird one. They interviewed somebody else whose name I couldn't pronounce. Yeah. I cannot remember for the life of me who it was, but it was, it was a very interesting list. Yeah, no doubt. That. No doubt. They've they've done some fascinating things. So. Again, I don't always buy into these uh, betting odds things because they're normally just wrong and they're put out there. I don't even think you can bet on them per se, but they're hey, we're betting odds on this. And Johnson was a 1 to 10 for the commander, so basically you don't make any money. Uh, betting him, it doesn't even make sense. And then Quinn was the next guy at 5 to 2, then Slowick and Mike McDonald were both 10 to 1s beyond that. And they put Belichick on the board even though they haven't interviewed him. I saw something earlier today that Bill Belichick was minus 2,000 to not get a job at this point. Ooh, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, think about what you could if like you really could have gotten odds on it in the beginning. I would wonder what they were at that point, like as far as... For not getting a job? Yeah, that, getting, yeah that would have been interesting. You know, because I think we just assumed, hey, he was going to roll into somewhere. But it didn't happen. So the Chargers have put out a... Uh, 
release that says the introductory presser is next Thursday at 1 o'clock. Um, that'd be Pacific time, I would imagine. 4 o'clock our time. Uh, for one Jim Harbaugh. So February 1st for uh, Jim Harbaugh. Makes sense. Didn't want to steal his brother's thunder. Yeah. and Twice. Next week you've got... Um, You've got you know the the week off anyway, so there's going to be a lot of I would imagine all these hirings will be wrapped up by next week. There's no reason for them not to be and right. quickly. Right. Uh, you can even you know do these things during this you know again the second rounds and all these things during the off week because of uh, you can go you got to go on the road though as they were talking about the commanders have to go on the road and all that stuff. Um, Johnson by the way had five virtual interviews last week for head coaching jobs. But cannot meet with second team with second time with teams until after the championship game. Washington's expected to travel to Detroit to meet Johnson next week. Lions, of course, finished the NFL's top five in total yards, rushing yards, and passing yards per game, and ranked fifth in offensive DVOA, defensive adjusted value over average. And they scored at least thirty points in ten of nineteen games under Ben Johnson. So anyway, thirty-seven years old, Charleston, South Carolina. Um, Native, went to high school in Asheville, North Carolina. Of course, played at the UNC as a walk-on reserve quarterback. Graduated in 2008 with a mathematics and computer science degree. Began coaching at Boston College right after college in 2009 as a grad assistant. And was a tight ends coach in 2011. Joe Philbin's the guy who gave his big break in the NFL. The former interesting uh, Dolphins coach who I believe was also uh, with the Packers for a long time. Yep. You got? So, so there you go. So that's uh, the... Little bit of the uh, Ben Johnson file, and again, and it looks like again a race of one against one right now because the, the Seahawks have not even spoken to him. All right, seven five seven six eight seven ninety four ninety four. One other note about Johnson I think is fascinating. He was not brought in by Dan Campbell. He was actually brought in by Matt Patricia. Um, he was he was working his way up with the Dolphins in twenty eighteen before being hired by Patricia in two thousand nineteen to become the quality control coach of the Lions in twenty nineteen. Huh. So. Interesting. Yeah, so he survived a coaching shakeup. And again, they were 0-10-1 when they fired, or not fired, but they stripped Anthony Lynn of his play calling duties. And Johnson was promoted to OC for 2022, and his play calling obviously has helped uh, the Lions take off over these last two seasons. All right, 757-687-9494. We'll uh, get some uh, final thoughts of the championship games coming up. Also in uh, what we missed, big day and big surprise at the Aussie Open down under earlier today. All right, Scott Jackson, show Priority Auto Sports Radio 94.1. We're brought to you by Larry King Law. James Witham's got your sports center. All right, uh, I'll tell you what. Right now, let's do it. I've waited long enough. I've uh, been, you know, been dragging this out as long as I could. How about caller number two, Brooks and Dunn tickets, the 2024 reboot. Caller number two right now, 757-687-9494. 757-687-9494 via the Ballyhoo's phone line. Brooks and Dunn, the tickets went on sale today, but you can win them right now on this show. Uh, for the show that's on June 14th at uh, United Home Loans Amphitheater in Virginia Beach. Pair of tickets on the line right this second, but you got to be the second caller. Can't be too fast, but you can't be too slow. It's like a little trick, right? So you can't be the guy sitting on the phone line or the gal. you got to be the second fastest caller or dialer, 757-687-9494. So there's a little luck involved, too. All right. Uh, and again, if you didn't win tickets throughout this week, we've been giving these things away. You can always go, I know, it's not a popular idea, but buy them because they're on sale now. In Brooks and Dunn Reboot Tour with special guest David Lee Murphy and Ernest. 
All right. So we were talking about the issues that uh, we think the Lions potentially could have this weekend against the San Francisco 49ers in the last hour, one of which is Jared Goff has not played well at all against the Niners. And he's also struggled against zone defense or zone coverages. And that is something that the Niners play a lot of. And that could be an issue for him this weekend. The good news for him is his center, Frank Ragnow, is available, which was a little bit of a uh, question mark heading into the week. And the other uh, part of this situation for um, the Detroit Lions that worries me is their defense is just not up to snuff. And some of these other defenses, they're just you know they've they've had problems. They've been a very much a bend don't break kind of defense. Um, their defense has done a pretty good job though when it comes to rushing, you know, slowing down the rush um, and things like that. So the, the Lions have held their opponents to under um, you know ninety yards per game this season, which second few is the NFL. Bears are the first. However, the Lions' run defense is going to face Christian McCaffrey, and that's the, the Niners' strength. So strength for strength. More so, it's also a um, and again a defense that has been very beatable throwing the football on. Now where they have boned up is in the red zone. They've been better in terms of slowing teams down when they get down the field. But has been as you saw last week and previous weeks, you can move the ball on them. That's that is not a question. You're going to be able to move the ball, and the question is, can they get the stops and they need to? Feels like Aiden Hutchinson's had so many key sacks at key moments during the season for Detroit. As I said it earlier, I'll say it again, you know, getting a lead, like coming out and being able to run the ball and really establish um, something on the ground early could help alleviate some of the Jared Goff concerns you might have in this game and also get you in the position where you're, you're not playing from behind and you can you kind of dictate this game. The Niners are so good when they get up on you. I mean, they've been so tough on teams and they get ahead and then you're, you know, you're playing at kind of their, their tempo, their pace. You get you know, Shanahan gets in that rhythm. It makes it very difficult to come back on them. So they have um, they have been tough. So get this, too. The coin toss is interesting. So the one coin toss in the choose to receive in the last five seasons in the playoffs, um, the last two seasons in particular, have been great for teams who win the coin toss and elect to receive. Uh, but it always has not been the case. So teams that win the coin toss and elect to receive have won 61% percent of the games over the last two years at a 35 and 22 clip whereas the teams that did that from 2019 to 2021 were just a 337 win percentage 28 and 55 the Lions have opted to receive four times this season and went four and in all those games the Ravens did it twice and went two and oh those games including a game against the Lions the Chiefs have used this strategy just one time under Patrick Mahomes to take the ball and um, they they uh, won that game against Jacksonville. That was week 10 this year. And the 49ers have not done it once. They have never said, give us the football. How about that? Under Kyle Shanahan. They always defer. Interesting. Because they like to come out of the locker room, you know, with the old with the old uh, adjustments and have it going on there. Well, they're trying to have their cake and eat it too. You score before half right. and then the two score. For one. Yeah, there you go. The old two for one. Last week, Shanahan completely botched that. Yeah, oh, yes, he did. With the, with the time management, then the block kick was a complete debacle. Yeah, well done there, Kyle. By the way, who's our uh, winner for the Brooks and Dunton? Chris in Portsmouth. All right, Chris in Portsmouth. Congratulations. He is stoked. I think we have a run of Chris's this week that have won. I think it was well, this Williamsburg. Is a, this is a K-R-Y-S, too, so it's okay. very unique spelling. Interesting. Okay, very unique. Wow. Okay, congrats to Chris with a unique spelling of Chris. Um, so Brock Purdy, 
you know, again, last year didn't get to play very long in the championship games. Second championship game start. He has um, clearly had a very good season. And we were talking earlier how he's among those that is in the finalist for MVP running. Now, I don't think he's going to win it, but he certainly has uh, had a very good season. Led the NFL in QBR this season. And usually if you lead the NFL in QBR, that's meant you won the MVP, by the way. The last five, as a matter of fact, Mahomes, Rodgers, Rodgers, Lamar Jackson, and Mahomes. Huh. So fascinating enough. But again, we don't know. The votes have not been tabulated yet, but it sure feels like just the you know, taking your straw poll out there of NFL writers and NFL media types that it looks like it's going to be a Lamar Jackson win this year. But this is a uh, – this will be an interesting one when it, the vote comes in. But Brock Purdy and Jared Goff don't obviously have MVPs to their credit, but they have certainly played at a real high level this year. Uh, you know, Purdy, the knock has always been – he's not even the MVP on his own team. I'm, I'll be the first one to admit I think that about him. But his first full season as a starter, here's some numbers. 9.6 yards per attempt, most by anybody in the NFL history, most in anybody in NFL history with at least 400 attempts in a year. Set the 49ers passing record yardage for this year, uh, for yardage 4,280. Became the first 49ers quarterback to throw 30 touchdowns in a season since Jeff Garcia in 2001. <laughs> Jeff Garcia. But it doesn't feel like the 49er quarterbacks have finished the season from start to finish in forever, especially under Shanahan. That is right? very true, yeah. Purdy led the team, again, at QBR. Ranked third against top three against the Blitz in QBR, completion percentage yards per attempt, and passing TDs ranked top three when pressured. In total QBR, completion percentage yards, and attempt at passing touchdown. He also led the NFL with 60.5% of his passes in 20-plus air yards. So deep shots have been pretty good. Now, he doesn't have the biggest of arms, but that intermediate, what we would consider deepish stuff. I mean, there's so much yards after catching the 49er offense anyway, and in a West Coast offense in particular. Uh, the mo- biggest, most important thing is throwing it to guys to get them open, right, and give them an opportunity to have yards after catch. Like the underthrows or the right-on-the-guy throws are not the best throws for that kind of offense. And that's what he throws. He throws with very good anticipation, I would say, was another thing that doesn't get mentioned enough. But anyway, his completion percentage right now, 69.4% uh, when throwing at least eight yards in the air is the best in the NFL, too. So, I mean, doing a lot of things well this year. And... You know, all the eyes are always on him. You know, when they play poorly, like like last week, he didn't, he wasn't playing well until no. that last. And he hit some shots in that last drive, but it was really more of a Christian McCaffrey game, for sure. And the, you know, Debo being there this week, and I think that was a big problem with it, right? Would they lose lost Debo in the first half, and that offense did? You know, they were a little shook for a while without him. Well, and I, I'm kind of with you a little bit on the okay, he's playing great. How long is he going to play? Like, what is his condition really? I mean, you're being able to practice and not getting hit is great. But if you think that those lines aren't going to hit you and hit you hard, you're crazy. So is he actually going to be able to finish this game? They have a um, they, they have an absolute uh, ferocious they're, they're a, they're a ferocious offense. When he's playing, right? When he's playing and he's running and he's getting, he's just lo- lowering that shoulder on some people and, and you know, getting physical. But I, I just wonder again, can he actually do that um, in this game consistently without that shoulder being an issue where he has to go out of it or they have to give him a very large needle in that tent? 
Right, and whether he's there or not could change your offense. Because if you can't yeah. run some of those plays that you would usually run with him, that, that takes out a significant portion of your offense. Well, I mean, I it, it even helps McCaffrey because if they see him showing the jet sweep action, you know, you're freezing a linebacker, somebody's eyes are moving on him. And meanwhile, McCaffrey's hitting you right up the middle or between the tackles or between the guards or whatever it may be. Or, you know, somebody's you're, you're shading that way because you buy into the, you know, buy into the motion of Debo. I mean, it just it gives teams a lot to think about when he's out there. And again, he, he can turn what is just like a really small yardage gain into a huge gainer in a hurry. So, yeah, we'll, we'll be interested to watch him early to see if that thing holds up and how, how impactful he is. Because if he's impactful, I, just, I don't see them losing. I mean, I, I really don't. No. Don't see them losing, although I think Detroit can hang around. I hope Detroit can come out there and run it and run it well, uh, make things a little bit easier on themselves this week uh, in that regard. Again, um, I like the Chiefs to knock off the Ravens. I know that seems crazy because the Ravens have just every time they've stepped up in the in the weight class, if you will, they've knocked the opponent out with a f- fury this season. I mean, absolutely destroying them, and they have been great at that. And they've been taking the ball away from people, holding teams down to their lowest yardage totals of the year as well. But and Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs, man, they they've also in this role of underdog. I think they really like it. It's actually been pretty good for them over these last. Bunch of weeks as they've kind of reimagined what their offense is and who they're who they're all about. So again, hopefully, I'm always hopeful of great games, no matter more than anything uh, coming up this weekend. Well, let's see how sick they are of hearing about this vaunted Ravens defense. No doubt. And by the way, uh, we'll have both the games here on Priority Auto Sports Radio 94.1, mm-hmm. starting with the uh, Ravens and the Chiefs from Baltimore on Sunday. All right, seven five seven six eight seven ninety four ninety four. If you want to get some final licks in on the text line. Or uh, the Ballyhoo's phone line have at it. We'll get into some what we missed. Very interesting stuff from the Cheetah, uh, Tyreek Hill, about all this brouhaha of whether or not he filed for divorce. He's got a very logical explanation. We'll get to it next year. Scott Jackson, show prior to Sports Radio 94.1. We're brought to you by Larry King Law. So we've got to the mystery on uh, the Tyreek Hill saga where he said he did not file for divorce, but yet there's a public records that says, no, there's in fact a divorce filing right here. Uh, if you care to look at it, the via TMZ.com Hill said during a Twitch live stream on Thursday night that he never gave his people the green light to file a petition for divorce earlier this week. I uh, went on to say, I got to say that sucks. Yeah, a lot of stuff uh, is public record, but behind closed doors, a lot of people got fired too for just doing that without a yes. <laughs> it sucks that me and my wife got to go through that. Like, yeah, public records say it. And right now we're in the spot of fixing it. I fired the effing bonehead that made the mistake. Now it sucks. You know, this happens a lot to people. I mean, people like our assistants will just file divorces on your behalf for no reason. Wait a second. Happens all the time. I mean, of course. I mean, you've heard about this, Obviously, you discussed this with somebody, so you've been thinking about it. Wouldn't you have to sign, by the way, wouldn't you have to sign it, the petition, correct? I would like to think so. I would like to think he would have to sign it. I don't know. I mean, maybe we need to get one. Does he have one in there signed, ready to go, just in case? This is wild, man. Um, uh, Wow. It's great. Good luck with that. Yeah. Anyway, lawyers usually don't just do this on their own. So, anyhow, maybe this is a way to save face with he and his wife. I don't know. Um, But saying this, what the lawyers did with that approval seems to be highly unlikely. Highly unlikely. You're going to hate this story because it makes Kirk Cousins look like a good guy again. Uh, but two students uh, thought they saw Kirk Cousins, so their teacher told them they can find him again and bring him to the class. They would get extra credit. So they found him and drove him to campus at Hope College. This is a college in Michigan. 
and where Kurt spent his offseason. They'd seen him at um, therapy, PT, you know, because obviously he's coming back from an injury and all. With that Achilles, uh, Hope College is a Christian liberal arts college in Holland, Michigan. So they drove Kirk there, and Kirk, as he would do, because only Kirk Cousins would do this, allow them to do that, where he spent the spoke to the entire class. Look at that. And the kids got extra him. credit. Love it. Of course, Kirk being no social media, you know, you know, guy who's scared on social media says two students stopped me after my PT session at Hope and they told me I'd get extra credit if I showed up and go to class. So I stopped by Professor Gentile. Thanks for having me. But now I'm holding you to that extra credit. Look at Kirk. You know, <laughs> there you go. Doing his part for the people. Doing his part for the people. All right. Um, boy, some shocking news this morning at the Australian Open with uh, Novak Djokovic losing uh, in the semifinals. I mean, the Joker didn't look like he was unstoppable. And Yannick Sinner taking him down, and that uh, sets up a Sinner-Medvedev final as Medvedev also moved on by beating Alexander Zverev, or as his friends call him, Sasha. But anyway, 22-year-old Italian broke Djokovic twice in the first two sets in a lopsided win. That's the surprising part. Yeah, he rolled him. Uh, yeah, he rolled him at Rod Laver Arena. Um, and that that's the shocking part. In the wee hours, really the early hours this morning, of course, the time difference really makes the Australian Open hard to uh, stay up with all the time unless you really don't care about sleep. Yeah, I fell asleep. Yeah, I, I kind of Sorry, like, guys. I kind of care about my sleep. But anyway, uh, Sabalenka on the women's side, too, knocked out Coco Goff. I had a feeling that was going to happen to Coco Goff because she was she had to spend a lot of energy to get to the semis, and that's always the killer in these majors. Like, you can't waste t- court time. you got to get off your feet as soon as possible. If you can finish, people finish people. If you get extended, it's very hard. It is a battle of attrition in tennis. And Medvedev had to rally to beat Zverev, too, so mm-hmm. that could be a factor in the final. No doubt. No doubt. I'll be uh, curious to see that. I like Medvedev, man. I- I've had some interactions with him over the years when I was doing some tennis. He's he's a fun guy um, and really knew how to play the villain and then flip it around to be a very well-liked guy. All right, thanks to everybody who came through today. David Teal, uh, Jerry Coleman, talking Ravens, Tim Murray, uh, James Witham. Thank you. Have a great weekend, everybody. Uh, we are represented by Larry King Law, our good friends. If you're injured in an accident, call 757-INJURED. 757-INJURED. Trust the attorney that I trust to help my family out. He can help yours out, too. Larry King Law, 757-INJURED. Have a great and safe weekend. We will see you on Monday, 3 o'clock, here at Party Auto Sports Radio 94.1. Good night.